Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, November 1st of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday and this Sunday, November 6th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And today, for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, it's 5.30 a.m. Our little team's working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C. Not much of Year C left. And that puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. And here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson, Tampa, Florida. Charles Willard, Minnesota. I was all. You're doing great, Charles. And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Good to have you all today. And uh, today our uh, our passage uh, for consideration out of your C is Luke 20, 27 through 38. And I'm going to read from the New Revived Standard Version. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless, and then the second, and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed, in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. And that's the word of the Lord. Well, we come up uh, with uh, three questions for today. I'm going to touch on each one uh, because they are related to each other, and then we'll get started. And Bill Hull heads up coming to you uh, for the first part of the discussion. The first one is, what is the role and the contribution of the hypothetical fact pattern in this passage, Uh, the seven-step fact pattern? Uh, there are many pathways for discussion here, so it, it's meant to open up thinking about the literature or politics or Jesus' message. But I want to know the contribution of the hypothetical to this passage. And then the second question is, what what is a God of the dead in the context of this literature? And what impact does this God have on people and vice versa? And then finally, what does it mean to read to him? 
to, to him, all of them are alive. That's the way it closes out. What does it mean to read to him? All of them are alive. Well, let's start with the first one, which is the role and the contribution of this hypothetical fact pattern. Bill Hull, what do you think? Um, it's a challenging question, Don. As I said in the pre-recording, <laughs> at first when I read this, I started to call you and say, say more. So I decided to go with it and see what comes to mind. First of all, uh, a background comment. This story, in effect, in the same way, is recorded in all of the synoptics. Matthew 22, Mark 12, and then in Luke 20, as you read it. Now, I mention that because in my imagination, um, however we want to believe that the Gospels were written, whoever wrote them deemed this interchange to be critical to report, even though um, Mark began by reporting it. But um, I don't want to dwell there too long, but I think that's significant that each of the three uh, chose to tell this. And hypotheticals are, of course, uh, a device used in our culture and uh, in others, not just in this early ancient story, ancient for us. Um, also, I think it's important to note that this story is occurring in a larger context. Uh, it's later in the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 27. Before that, uh, the ch early in the chapter, the chief priests and scribes had said to Jesus, "What by what authority are you doing things in the the question about taxes and Jesus is famous, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God. And then this question about the resurrection. So there's a series of um, challenges to Jesus's authority and the content of what he believed. And the, we are told that the scribes and chief priests uh, were wanting to, quote, lay their hands on him. Um, now, the, the other question I would say, hypothetical does not mean that it's not real. And I will tell you as a pastor of a number of years, these questions, while they may be raised in a different way, are on the minds of people today. Um, the, the, this particular hypothetical is referring to Deuteronomy 25, the so-called Leverite uh, requirement that if uh, a brother died childless, uh, his brother was obligated to take the wife. But we need to know that that was a form of social security, of uh, a safety net in that day. We, to, to us today, it may, it, it may almost sound offensive, but let's be clear there there were motives behind that to protect uh, the the vulnerable. I've had people come to me as a pastor and ask, am I going to have my pets in heaven? And obviously any pastor has dealt with people for whatever reason, divorce or death, who've had multiple spouses on earth. So um, I'll move on, John, but I, I think it's, 
important that we not see this as, oh, some trick that the Sadducees tried to pull back then. Um, there was some, now they may not have been sincere, but there are people who sincerely uh, question um, the nature of, uh, of heaven, of the afterlife. And one, then the closing comment I will make, because as you say, all three questions are related. What I think is most important is, and this is my way of saying it, Jesus is saying in the life to come, nobody will own someone else. Um, in in that culture, in some ways, the husband owned the wife, and I find that uh, very encouraging. That there will be a new ethic, a new social norm in the afterlife, whatever that is like. I thank you for the question, Don. Thanks, Bill. Sarah, what do you think? What's the role of this hypothetical in this passage? I think that the role of the hypothetical seems to be, in this case, deception and misdirection. The Sadducees seem to prepare their question intentionally with layers of exaggeration, hoping to make the Leverite law from Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, appear ridiculous and the question unanswerable. So, What does this question reveal about their understanding and their opinion about the Leverite practice? Who might they be trying to embarrass? So, such seeds, as I understand it, were people who lived very, very conservatively, using only the first five books of the Bible, of our Bible, the Pentateuch, for their, um, their source material. And they held that up as the empirical rule under which they operated and lived and they didn't really buy into the balance of uh, material that was written after the first five books um, whether it was Midrash or the conversations that were captured in the rest of the um, story for them and other factions so there was this living tension between how they believed and what they believed to be true and what the, the Pharisees believed to be true and the balance of people kind of held between them uh, by their ability to draw an audience or draw a congregation to them. So it seems to me that they're a bit like politicians lobbying for popular opinion and re-election. How do the Sadducees value marriage and women and fertility? And the impression I get is, from this particular conversation, I wonder if those posing the question recognize the enormous benefit that Leverite marriage brought to the vulnerable in the society, whether they were the women, um, the widows, or the sisters of the families of widows. So um, I, I wonder if they even saw the widow as something of a person instead of a property or, um, a stair step to immortality or resurrection by simply being um, the vessel by which children would be born. Um, In the Sadducees' case, it seems that they believe the only way to have um, immortal life or or resurrection is 
that they would have a child and that child would go forth with their name and continue the family line. Um, they seem to see the situation as the only opportunity or, or as an opportunity to outmaneuver their opponent, not valuing that the Leverite law provided not only a continuation of the family name, but also provided care and inclusion, which allowed the woman, the widow, to sustain social interactions and community inter a community connectedness. So all those things were so interestingly intertwined in this question. So I felt like the hypothetical was there to trip up the practice of Leverite law, to trip up Jesus into saying there is no resurrection, and to trip up the whole audience that might be listening to their side of the, the argument, um, like a good attorney. I don't know. So I, I thought that the hypothetical was used for exaggeration, misdirection, and a deception. Thanks, Sarah. How about, how about you, Charles? What are your thoughts about the hypothetical? You're on mute. Now, I'm off of mute. You're doing that doesn't great. help, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, I think this is... I think Jesus is, is, is doing the right thing by saying, in effect, this is not this is not really a very useful question. Um, I can imagine, and if you wanted to do this, you could simply say, okay, so what would happen in the uh, in the in the hereafter when they're all there? And I would say it's very neatly worked out here because there's seven there's seven days there's seven times there's seven new new marriages, and so it's all taken care of. Uh, you know, you got Monday, you got Tuesday, you got Wednesday, you got Thursday. Jesus is showing, I think, the the, the narrow-mindedness of this, and is is picked it up in a way that 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 shows that it's it's not it's not sensible. Although there's a way to reconstruct it, but totally reconstruct it. I mean, what happens if 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 Madam Wednesday comes in on, on or, or, or Mr. Wednesday comes in and it's Tuesday and they have to say, you oh, know, sorry, this is not your day. Go away. Uh, it's, but there would be a useful process for people to do. But Jesus is pointing out that's not the point. The point is, you know, the, the here and now and, 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 the, and the hereafter. Uh, and the hereafter is something that we can account for in a different way. Thank you, Charles. I I think it, uh, you know, first it's expressing the core assumption that there's no resurrection. It's like a sledgehammer. <laughs> this is our starting point. But it sure is tied to things that matter. You know, there's a utility in these questions. They probably could have raised other questions as well. This is a particularly good hypothetical if you want to ridicule someone's idea. So, Sarah, I kind of work with you. It's, I, think, I see ridicule is popping out here. Um, if you accept the fact pattern that they give as just and what should play out based on any code, law, or family, then, uh, then it's going to be easy to, to mess it up 
based on the idea of what heaven is. I mean, if 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 you really want to ridicule something, you turn someone else's belief into chaos. And if if this is true, the seven steps, then heaven must be chaos. If this is true, then heaven is false. It's it opposes a just moral system. It's a particularly nasty hypothetical. Uh, if this is the case, you choose. They're so different. You, which is just? What what our practices are, which are based on sound law and principles and the law of our God, or what you're going to do in heaven. Pick one. It's a really nasty thing. But I, what I love the role of this in the literature is that it, I think it turns into a kind of an inbreaking that you, know, you, you, you put up this idea to, to make fun of someone's, in this case, what do you believe, Jesus? And then there's this inbreaking, which really separates I guess it's a catalyst. It's a catalyst for the thinking of the people who are questioning. It's a catalyst for me to think about this, too. Um, it's uh, It becomes a message about heaven and a tough reminder to me that the daily life is filled with systems uh, that actually uh, may be useful, may have utility, uh, may strike a balance, may create peace. Uh, may allow for families to go on, may protect people. But because that's locked in, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with heaven. And I think the the, the inbreaking here is who dares to generate heaven? You know, do I dare to generate the idea of what heaven looks like based on even the good things that we do in life for each other? And I think the answer is no. You can't You can't really get there. Uh, if you have a pragmatic solution, and I'll speak to myself, Don, if you have a pragmatic solution to solve something that might help more people than not, don't 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 get a big head about that. That's not necessarily what heaven looks like. There may be an ethic in there, good, good work, but don't deceive yourself. You you, you in the beginning was the Lord, not you. <laughs> and so I uh, I, I thought. Uh, the hypothetical works so well all all the way to being a catalyst for the Christ to break in, not some philosophical discussion, not some how do we run life, but the Christ says, look, let me tell you, this is something entirely different. Um, so let, let me move on to the, uh, the, the next, uh, the next question. And Sarah, this will be coming at you. And I, I wrote down, uh, what is a God of the dead in the context of this literature? And what impact does this God, I'm using a little g, this God, have on people and vice versa? Because there's a clear reference to the dead versus the living. Sarah? Are we trying to uh, project onto God our own limitations? That was what my first thought was. It's like, how are we invited to see God in this text? Are we invited to see God with human eyes? Are we, in, are, are we looking to dress God with the limitations of things as we understand them? So Jesus presents us with an affirmation that God is the I am, not the I was or I used to be. And I think that's an important perspective. Um, Dr. Reverend, excuse me, the Reverend Dr. Janet Hunt, in her November 
2013 blog entitled The Sadducees Question writes, For I imagine that this also must be true for the Sadducees who seek to back Jesus into a corner today. They only know what they know, and they aren't willing to risk beyond that. In fact, they would go nowhere near where the Pharisees and Jesus and you and I would go in terms of believing God has something in store for us after this life. Even if we can't describe it or fully understand it, instead, given their example today, it's clear that they've placed their hope for immortality squarely on the shoulders of their children and on their children's children. So they can't imagine a God who would bring hope to them. They can only see hope in the faces of their descendants. I think that, yet again, is an indication of where we stand in the Garden of Good and Evil. Um, In the Garden of Eden, before the Tree of Good and Evil, when we are making determinations on whether we can have the mind of God or not. Um, So I have, how might a God of the dead impact the living, is my question. If it's only rot and decay, and we have no hope for immortality, uh, it seems to me a very bleak perspective, um, to say the least. So uh, I'm curious about how dark their understanding of the world must be to stand in that corner and see no no hope other than the hope of children. Um, and if that's the be-all and the end-all, God help us, because I think there's more to each of us than just our ability to generate grandchildren. So that's my case. Thank you. Bill Hall, what do you think? Again, a challenging question. Um, Verse 38 says, Jesus says, now he is God not of the dead, but of the living. Um, It seems to me if you believe there is no resurrection or no life beyond this life on earth, therefore only now matters. Um, Only now matters. And um, what if in the here and now you face great limitations of pain or struggle, um, this is all there is. Interestingly, several decades ago, a rabbi friend of mine set up a public conversation in the synagogue with a different Presbyterian minister friend of his and advertised it, and it was a large turnout, and it was a public discussion, debate, between one who believes there is life after this life, and in this case, this rabbi had a, his own particular view, and I don't know that this represents Judaism in general, but his thesis was the, the Christian minister went first and talked about our faith in life beyond this life. The rabbi's belief was that as long as someone remembers you, you still live. But once you are forgotten, then you no longer exist. So for him, any life 
even if it's only in memory after this life, is totally dependent on humans, not God. That's why offspring, he thought, were so important, because that would keep your memory alive. And it was a very respectful conversation. Um, but I, I, I share that because I think it makes the obvious point. Um, I would come at it this way. I have no idea what it means to live after this life. I have I, my imagination uh, in some ways can't go there. I accept the witness of scripture, the promise of Jesus. I don't doubt that, but I, I don't understand it. Um, what I think I understand is it is so far beyond our imagination and so far beyond human logic that it is truly dependent on God. It is another example of the power and depth and breadth of God's grace that we are promised something that we can't create and, at least in my case, do not understand, embrace, but do not understand. So, again, it comes back to the focus is on God. And Jesus' message is, that he represents a God not of the dead, but of the living. Bill Wallace, who used to teach uh, the lectionary class at Palmasia Presbyterian Church, which is the church that makes this podcast possible. He taught it for generations, and we honor him with this podcast, uh, speaking of honoring and memory, and it lives on in the love that he put into that class. To paraphrase him, he said the standard of the age is not relevant to resurrection standard of our age, our thinking. And uh, and I had that written in large letters in the margin of, of my Bible. Uh, and I, I, Sarah, we, we talk a lot about the women at the tomb, and I want to bring that in again. Uh, what uh, What are the women going to the tomb to do? after Jesus has been tried and executed, they're going to create memory. They're going to honor the dead. They're going to honor the memory. They're going to lock, and this is my opinion, <laughs> they, they're going to lock him in, in terms of time, as a beloved teacher, and there we will tell stories about him and, they, and what they've experienced with him may guide their lives and their ethics. For years to come. They're doing the right thing in their age to take care of the body, to memorialize him, and to lock him in time as, as, as someone who has passed. And that's, for me, how, how wildly off this is from what's actually taking place. That it, the resurrection has nothing to do with what's going on. They're doing things that are perfectly proper to, to memorialize and to create the memory, but it doesn't it doesn't work. So I go back to the to those women at the tomb and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I, I, for Charles, I come to you. I I, I struggle with part of this because of my my beloved. Atheist friends, and people who question, uh, people who doubt, the existentialist writers, 
um, are close, they matter to me uh, because it is, it's not, I'm trying to get this in the right words. I, I want to make sure I'm not making a comment about just being right and wrong, that there's a beautiful ethic that we arrive at conclusions every day. We preserve how we treat each other. Kind of like the women going to the tomb. That is proper to go and care for Jesus' body and to preserve his memory. That is all that is all we can do. And it matters. And I just want to say for those who in this world every day, I'm trying searching for the words, but I'm going to try to get this down. I struggle with this passage because every day it is it blows me away. Uh, the ethic that we have in terms of our responsibility to each other. And I find it everywhere, in all philosophies, in all walks of life, for the believer and the non-believer, for the atheist and the agnostic, they, we, we do work hard to care for each other. And I just want to make sure for my friends listening in, I'm not trying to blend, or I'm not trying to create this chasm of heaven and earth in a way that says it's wrong just saying it's not comprehensible that that we do what we can to care for each other and it is beautiful but there is there is much more that is beyond all understanding and uh, and i just want to make sure it's, it's no, there's no there's no damnation of the ethic here it is it is wonderful uh, charles how about you what are your thoughts about the the god of the dead You're mute. I'm always amazed where this group, where this conversation goes. It goes where, you know, the, the, the word of Star Trek now, you know, where, where, where people have never gone before. And you do that. Uh, and I, I, it's it's just an amazing thing to, to sit here and to listen to and to uh, talk with the three of you whose minds are so remarkably, I was about to say unhinged, but that's not quite, <laughs> that's not, that's not quite what I meant. <laughs> I want to, want to convey that, that you're able to, take this conversation about which is given to us from hundreds, thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago and to uh, re-coordinate it, reorganize it, redevelop it, re-handle it, re-manage it, reinterpret it in a way that, that that moves it forward uh, and moves it forward in a way that probably couldn't have been comprehended by the the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Christians who debated it uh, and talked about it among themselves 2,000 years ago. That And, and it's just uh, it's a remarkable thing, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you, Charles. And uh, that'll take us to uh, the final question. And uh, it's, what does it mean to you to read to him all are alive? I'm going to go to that. 
Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. And I'm going to kick it off by, I was looking at my notes, and there was a, a pastor in Charlotte preached on this just this weeks ago, not on lectionary. Uh, it's Bob Henderson at uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he, he summed it up by saying, heaven transcends all the categories we know in this life, including marriage. It is less about eternity than about relationships being guided by love. Bill, what, what do you think about all or a lot? Um. I would affirm what you just said. That was, uh, in a, in essence, a part of what this question prompted in me. Um, this phrase, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, is exactly the same in all three synoptics that I mentioned. Um, Luke uh, and Mark add... Um, or Luke adds, for to him, all of them are alive. Uh, I believe that's left out of uh, Matthew and Mark. Anyway, um, it, it's interesting to me that what is framed as an attempt to trap Jesus by the religious power brokers becomes, for Jesus, a description of life now and for eternity. So while there is some, there is an adversarial tone here, and in um, Matthew and Mark, Jesus says, you are wrong. <laughs> Nevertheless, it ends, this portion ends with Jesus talking about the grace of God providing for eternal life. We all know Psalm 23, 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And we, when we come to Easter again, we will uh, chorus together the ancient Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. Uh, the other thought that occurs to me, Don, and it somewhat reflects also something you said. During his life and ministry on earth, Jesus consistently overturned societal expectations. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. And what this passage says to us in the afterlife, in the eternal life, social expectations will still be overthrown. Let's remember, in the Jewish cup culture for a married woman to be childless was a source of shame that's that's part and parcel of that whole Deuteronomy 25 legal right marriage a woman's job is to produce children and in heaven being childless will no longer matter because in this hypothetical she ends up childless right she never does I, I think I'm reading that right so in the eyes of that culture, she was still in some way shamed. Um, and I, I will end with this quote from Professor Kenyatta Gilbert in this resource called Connections, Year C, Volume 3. A God who raises life from death 
stands outside the expectation, prediction, and horizon of human control. I like those words. Outside our expectations, our predictions, and the horizon of our human experience. My horizon and every human's horizon is limited, but God is not. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Sarah, all are living. In this passage, Jesus affirms the resurrection impacts those who've died. Um, This list of those living includes all of our ancestors and the God of first five books, which the Sadducees held up as definitive and conservative definition of God. My questions are, do we not worship a God of the dead or of the living? The I am or the I was? And where does your hope lie? You know, I, I, I can't not stand here and be aware that this Sunday is all, and today is All Saints Day. Tomorrow is All Souls Day, and Sunday we lift up those two and um, in the worship of um, the idea that we are the culmination of all the hopes and dreams of those who have come before us, who have practiced this faith, who have given us this lineage, and who have given us this um, opportunity to wrangle with this text and this language ourselves. Um, there's a, a number of posts in the world of Pinterest and Facebook and things like that that um, have resonated with me around this language. Um, And I think that we are living and we worship um, a God that is alive. And the proof I have of that is that I have this wonderful foundation to start with. And that's been passed on to me because people thought it was important to see God as living and not as the God of the dead. Um, rounding that corner, I'm, I'm reminded of a Linda Hogan quote. She's a Native American writer. Um, Walking, I'm listening to a deeper way. Suddenly all my ancestors are behind me. Be still, they say. Watch and listen. You are the result of the love of thousands. Thank you. And uh, before I come to you, Charles, I, I, I've been thinking that there's a danger of uh, reverse ridicule here. And uh, I want to, I'm going to play that out, see if you agree with this, that in terms of the God of the living, uh, you know, that's, that's also those of us who are pursuing utility and, safety and security and peace every day uh, in the systems that we're managing and and changing every day. And I, I'm wondering, uh, I, I, I want to I reverse the, the, the ridicule here. It's like, you know, I think, I think the church can flip this and do behave it exactly the same way. I think this is more about human nature than it is about a sect or people who believe a certain thing. I think we're capable of doing it. And I'll, I'll make it ridiculous. You know, uh, Sarah, uh, when you have your house in heaven, uh, what kind of cross do you intend to hang in your living room? Are you going to have a 
Celtic cross or a crucifix or what are you going to hang in heaven? Or, you know, Charles, uh, you know, hmm. you speak, I don't know if you speak other languages, if you don't speak Latin or Aramaic. I mean, you know, what are you going to do about your illiteracy in heaven? Uh, you know, we just go on and on and on. And Work I, on I think, it. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I think it's easy to, to also swing the other way and default and say, you know, the end all be all is heaven. Uh, you know, what work is there to do? Uh, it is finished. Like, you know, this is also a call to do good work. <laughs> this is a call to lean in, to persevere, but to think about the chasm that we have between our understanding and heaven too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want to turn the, the ridiculous on myself and go, well, you know, if I go too far the other direction, I can also say, oh, I, you know, are you going to hang the right cross in heaven in your house? Well, you know, when you're not going to have a house and you're probably not going to have a cross and you're not going to, you know, what language will you speak? You know, if you're a soprano, are you going to have a place at the seat of the Holy Choir? What are we talking about here? Uh, and so I just wanted to, to highlight that I think there's counsel for everybody here in terms of our pursuits on earth. Uh, Charles, you get last word, your thoughts, all are living. Once again, y'all demonstrate the value of this this particular group to the four of us who are participating in it and to uh, Palmacy Presbyterian Church, which got us started and also benefits from it. I just, it's, it's refreshing. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Glad you're with us today. And uh, speaking of Palmacy of Presbyterian Church, they're the ones that make this possible. They're located at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that site to you because there are even more differences of opinion there. It's exciting. Uh, Great sermons. Uh, Outstanding music meditations, Sunday school classes. Uh, They're actually uh, doing a walk through the entire Bible this year. So check that out. Uh, Also an opportunity to take uh, communion. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.